This morning, Levi is here with us again this morning, and he's going to preach from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. If you would stand together as we read the word of the Lord. Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have um, given it to us, that we can know you. And Lord, I pray that as uh, your word is open this morning, that your spirit would be at work, convicting us of sin, encouraging our hearts. Father, I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Anthony, for leading us and Len for praying for us. And I'm so thankful and grateful to be back here with you all this morning. It is a real privilege uh, to be here and to open God's word. Uh, what a privilege it is. What a good God we have. Uh, he loves us so much that he gave us his word, such a clear word, uh, such an encouraging word, uh, a faithful word, and a faithful God. Well, I would like, uh, as Anthony prayed, would you um, please go to the Lord with me again in prayer? Let's pray for our time this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can come before you humbly, not presuming upon your grace and your love, but we come knowing that you do love us, that you've shown your love for us in the life and death and resurrection of your Son. And so, Lord, I pray uh, that you would bless the words of my mouth, that you would bless the meditations of our hearts this morning, that they would be holy and pleasing to you. So bless us with your spirit this morning. Open your word to us, and may we receive it with uh, thankful and uh, expectant hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this weekend, uh, a group of us from All Saints, we uh, took a quick uh, seven-hour trip uh, down to uh, Greenville, uh, South Carolina. Uh, we went down there for a day conference with the Gospel Reformation Network, uh, got back home, back into Richmond about 11.30 last night. Um, so it was a quick turnaround, but I was so grateful to be there. It was a really encouraging time. Uh, with uh, a group of like-minded pastors and elders uh, within the PCA, talking about the, the state of the PCA and what we can expect going forward. And it really was a season of, of really great prayer uh, for, for the church, for God's church, for Jesus's church. And perhaps one of the most helpful uh, times there was one of the opening talks, which was about prayer. And it was really, it was a charge 
for us to pray. And one of the questions that stuck with me that the speaker asked was, who are you when you are alone? See, he was asking that question to get us to think that it's easy for us to uh, be holy or to put on a show for, for an hour on a Sunday morning. Uh, but, but how are we? What, what, what do we look like when we are alone or when we're with our spouse or when we're with our children around the dinner table? Are we devoted to prayer even in those times? Are we devoted to the Lord? Is our life marked by thankfulness and by joy, even when no one else is around? And as uh, Sparky so faithfully uh, laid the foundation for us last week in the book of Philippians, uh, we know that Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was one of those people that you had no doubt (laughs) what he was like in private. He was the same person in public and in private. He was always a one that was uh, characterized by constant, joyful, and thankful prayer. And that's what it should be for all of us. That's, that's, that's a mark that should be on all of our lives. But, but we have to ask ourselves, how, how is that possible? Because sometimes we feel it could be impossible for our lives to, to be marked by this constant joy and thankfulness and a life that's full of prayer. And well, if there was anyone that ever had reason to, to not have a life marked that way, had reason to be downcast and to despair, it was the Apostle Paul over the course of his ministry and his career, as we look through the, the book of Acts, as Sparky went through the book of Acts last week, we see that Paul was stoned, he was beaten, he was imprisoned and put in jail multiple occasions. He was ridden out of cities, he was abandoned by close friends, he was attacked by even closer and relentless enemies. And yet through all of that, as he again found himself in jail, as he's writing this letter, and as he was fast approaching the end of his life, he was still able to write these words, I give thanks. And what kind of outlook on life does someone need to have to be able to write words like that? Am I able to give thanks like that this morning? Can your life be marked by thankfulness and prayer, making every prayer with joy, even during difficult seasons of life? When you have close friends or, or family members that ask you, how are you doing? Can you sincerely say, I give thanks. I'm thankful to my God. Would you be able to say that this morning? Do you have the desire to be able to say that this morning? Well, let's look back now at our text, and, and let's see, because our passage does not only tell us what kind of thankful and joyful prayer and what it should look like, but also tells us how we can achieve that kind of prayer. In other words, it shows us the grounds or the reasons that we have for that thankfulness. How then, how can we be thankful when it doesn't seem like there's much to be thankful for? We look around the world around us, how can we be joyful when everything has changed so drastically over the last 18 months? Can as a church, can we give thanks to God when churches go through difficult seasons of transitions and change? Do we grow tired and despair or do we continue to hope in God? Well, we cannot manufacture that kind of joy ourselves. 
but we can't achieve it. We can't achieve that kind of thanksgiving that Paul knew when we understand where that thanksgiving was coming from. And so we could say it like this. I put it this way in the bulletin. Is that God's unending faithfulness produces thankfulness that never ends. It's God's faithfulness that produces that thankfulness. That's it. That's the reason. The reason's God's faithfulness. That's the only thing that can produce this, uh, uh, this life of thankful and joyful and unending prayer. And so let's look at that last part first. Let's look at that thankfulness that never ends. We see that first of all in Paul's letter to the Philippians. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. What, what, is, the, what is the nature of this thankfulness? What does it look like? Is it, is it just a shallow uh, thankfulness? Is it just lip service? Is it just surface deep? Well, the first thing we notice from our text is that this thankfulness is, is profuse. It's never-ending. It's constant. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. See, no less than four times does Paul use some form of that same root word of all and always and every, each moment, on every occasion, Paul is giving himself to prayer and thanks for what God has done through this Philippian church. And these things, they go together. I've, I've been using these words almost interchangeably of, of thanksgiving and of prayer, but they, they go together. Thankfulness and prayer, because in many ways they are, they are seamless. A thankful Christian is a praying Christian, and a praying Christian ought to give thanks to God for what God is doing in his life. It's an inseparable characteristic of the Christian life. And now, just to be clear, Paul is not saying that uh, he never stopped praying. He's not saying that every single breath he ever took was, was a prayer, but whenever he did pray, whenever it was his time of prayer, he was always bringing the Philippian church up to God and bringing them to the throne of grace. He does this throughout his letters. He concludes the letter to the Thessalonian church uh, in Thessalonica, not far from the city of Philippi in Macedonia. But he ends that letter to them with several appeals, one of which is pray without ceasing. Now, what does he mean to say there? That every single breath that we take ought to be a prayer? That we must never sleep, but we must always be engaged in prayer? We must live in our prayer closets? That no other activity can ever occupy our time? No, he's not saying that. But that really isn't our problem today, is it? Our issue is not that we pray too much, only if it was. (laughs) But to pray without ceasing is to have a life that is so saturated with prayer that it is so second nature that we cannot imagine life without it. 
that our mornings and evenings and our, our daily schedules would be organized around prayer, that every thought and action that we make would be surrounded by prayer, that our children would see uh, their, their parents praying for them and for their meals and for all their family activities and for one another. And I just think as I read these words how much different my life would be if I had given myself to prayer like that. And I think of some of the younger people in our audience as well. Not that it's ever too late to turn and give your life to prayer, but you younger people, you students here, what would it be like if you gave your lives to prayer? Read your Bible every day. Start it now. Read your Bible once, once through every year. I wish I had done that. How many, how many more times could I have read the Bible if I had started doing that and giving myself to prayer and to reading it? constantly making it an emphasis in my life. I wish I could go back and I could tell myself, Levi, you need to give yourself to prayer and to reading your Bible. Love it, cherish it. I can't go back in time and do that. So I'm going to do the next best thing. And I'm going to tell all of you (laughs) to do that. Ian Bounds, he wrote this this classic little book on, on prayer and the power of prayer. I was looking at it this morning, and he makes the profound point that the world, okay, the world is looking for better systems, but God is looking for better men. See, God is looking for men and women of prayer. That's how God accomplishes his mission and his work, is through prayer. God is looking for people who will be the same in private as they are in public. You see, being precedes doing. We can't do and we can't accomplish things that we aren't already ourselves. Bounds, he's, he's writing this, this little book primarily to pastors and elders in the churches. And so I asked the elders here in the room, are you lifting up your church in prayer? making every one of your prayers with joy, remembering the people of your church. Are you giving yourselves to prayer? Listen again to to Bound's words. He says, talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. Are we bringing God's people before God in prayer just as much as, if not more so, than we are bringing God's word to God's people? Both are important, but we neglect the first one much more, don't we? It's much easier to talk about God's word to people than it is to dedicate ourselves to bringing those people before the throne of grace in prayer. We must be men and women of prayer. We must pray like that without ceasing. We see this prayer, this thankfulness, is, it's not only constant and all, not only must be never ending, but it's also joyful. Paul says, making my prayer, every prayer with joy. You know, sometimes we, we can confuse thankfulness and joy and we can confuse those with happiness. But th- this joy This is a joy that's grounded in God. 
This is a major theme of, of Paul's letter to the Philippians. He uses and talks about the word joy on, on no less than 14 different occasions throughout the letter. And this is not to say that there's only one kind of prayer that we need to be making, that Christians only ought to be praying prayers of thanksgiving. No, we, we pray all sorts of different prayers. We pray the, the prayer of confession. The gift of confession is a wonderful gift of God. We're to bring our prayers and our sins and confessions to God, and we're to bring him all of our anxieties and cares, and, and yes, even our anger and frustration to cry out to God in desperation and in our frustrations to bring our pain before him. But in all of that, do we still have thankfulness? Do we still have some ground and root of joy in our lives? See, Paul is able to find the joy and thankfulness in his prayers, even in the midst of all of his circumstances. Because notice the direction of his prayers. See, it also has a direction. Don't miss, to, to whom did Paul direct his thanksgiving? Who did he give thanks to? Did he thank the Philippians? No, he thanked my God. See, Paul knows his God. I thank my God, the same God who met Paul on the Damascus Road all those years ago, who forgave his former sins and his life in Judaism as he persecuted his church. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He met his Savior on that road, and he got a new life and new meaning through his commission as the apostle to the Gentiles. And this same God has seen him now through his entire ministry up to the very end. That was his God, his personal and intimate God. And to him alone, he is giving thanks. And so sometimes we miss that as well. Are we thanking the wrong person? I wonder about this myself. I often uh, find myself uh, telling Jess and my fiance, Jess, I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful that I found you. And that is so true. <laughs> I'm so thankful that I found her, but it wasn't me. I was not the one ordaining those steps. If I was only thanking myself or thanking her or thanking the circumstances that brought us together, that would be a woefully inadequate prayer, but I'd be thanking the God of all creation who has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass for gifting us to one another and for giving us one another. See, that's my, my personal God. I can pray to him. My Father, who art in heaven, as we prayed earlier. See, we're able to pray that prayer because he is our Father, because of our union with Christ. We have the privilege of calling upon him as our Father. And we are his children, his sons and daughters. See, what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. My favorite passage in all scripture. I think I might have shared that on one occasion with you already. You see, that is the kind of, of Christian life that is marked by thankfulness. Thankfulness that knows who it's thanking. Thankfulness that is permeating all of life. A prayerful life full of thankfulness. But it's something that we could never achieve. We could never understand unless we truly understand where that thankfulness comes from. 
we've seen, we've looked at now how uh, our lives ought to be marked by thankfulness that never ends. But how, how, do we, how do we achieve that? How do we get to that point? You're saying this morning, I don't know how to accomplish that. My prayers are simply praying that God help me to want to want you. I, I readily acknowledge my lack of desire in this area, but I don't even know how to take the first step. Maybe that's you this morning. If we look only to the circumstances of our lives, we will always be tempted to look inward and to suffocate our joy and to never truly find anything that will produce lasting thankfulness and joy. But if we look outside of ourselves, if we look to God and to uh, him as the supreme source and to his faithfulness, we will find ourselves unable but to lift up our prayers of thanksgiving to him. See, thanksgiving that never ends only comes from God's unending faithfulness. This opening thanksgiving in these verses here that we read, verses three through six, really is one long sentence in the Greek. Even extends into the next uh, following verses, but verses three through six, it's so beautiful because Paul paints a, a perfectly clear sketch of the reasons why he is so thankful. And even in the midst of these circumstances, he's able to give thanks to his God. There are three reasons that he gives to give thanks. First, he says he gives thanks because of their remembrance of one another. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. This phrase in the Greek can be translated uh, one of two ways. The, the ESV that I have here, it takes it to mean it's, it's Paul's remembrance of the Philippians. But it can also be taken uh, the opposite way, as a Philippians' remembrance of Paul. And both are likely. Both are ultimately true. Paul, he never forgot the Philippians as the following verses make clear, but neither had the Philippians forgotten about Paul and even went out of their way to send Epaphroditus on a long journey to bring financial assistance to him, as well as much needed encouragement. And so that's the first reason Paul is thankful to God. But it's not the chief reason. You know, there are not many things better than receiving a message from someone, from someone that's thinking about you and, and praying about you, is there? So church, don't, don't neglect that. Elders, you need to be praying for your church, but church, you need to be praying for your elders too. And send them messages, send them a text, saying, hey, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you, thank you for all that you're doing. They'll love that. Make their day, it really will. And it isn't true only in the church, but this is just relationship 101 stuff. You know, husbands and wives and spouses, we need to be gracious to one another and thank one another, not just in actions, but also in words. The text, just thinking of you, hope you're doing well. That's such a helpful, such a simple thing to do that, that uh, is so, uh, so helpful in so many ways. And so Paul was thankful because of their remembrance but it was not the chief reason. And it cannot be ours either because it will never last. Spouses, friends, church members, pastors and elders, we're all human and we all fail and we'll all be let down at times. 
And it's so easy to be tempted to ground our joy and our thankfulness in another person or in a church or in a group of people. But we cannot ground our thankfulness there because there's a better place that we must look to. So secondly, Paul is thankful because of their partnership with the gospel. And we know Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi because of their generosity, most recently on display through the gift that they delivered uh, by Epaphroditus. And Paul makes reference to it here. He'll reference it explicitly later on in chapter 4. But in response to their gift, Paul writes this letter to them because they have partnered with him in the gospel. But notice verse 3, or verse 5, excuse me, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, what, is it, what does it mean to be a partner in the gospel? We can go in a lot of different directions with that. What does it mean? Now, now hear me now. The, the word partnership, that's the word koinonia. I'm sure you've, you've heard that word before. I know you have. I, I met Leonard Liu this weekend. So I know that he preached through Philippians and he mentioned that word to you before. But this is the word for fellowship. It's the word for communion, this partnership, this koinonia, the communion of the saints. The the Philippian church, they were not passive recipients of Paul's gospel proclamation, but they were active in his ministry in the widest sense possible. They had sent him financial support, that is true, which we've seen. But even more than that, they had partnered to spread the gospel message to others, as he'll allude to later in in chapter 1. And they also shared in Paul's suffering with him. And they shared in his intercessory work by lifting him up in constant prayer, just as Paul was doing for them. In every sense, they partnered with him in this gospel work. And truly, this These were the best church members a planting pastor could have ever hoped for. But even that, not only their their words of remembrance and their actions of participation, even that still wasn't the chief reason for Paul's thanksgiving. He was thankful both for their thoughtful remembrance of him and for their active participation in his ministry, but even still, there is another reason that he was thankful. So third and most importantly, Paul had reason for giving thanks because of what God has done. And Paul gives thanks because he is certain. The cause or the reason for Paul's thankfulness is that he is certain of something. He is positively convinced of a reality that spurs joyful and prayerful thanksgiving. What is that reason? What is he so certain of? It's one of the most beautiful promises in all of Scripture. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you is the same one who will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
You see, that is the chief reason, the supreme cause of Paul's thanksgiving, that the one who has begun the good work in the Philippian church will be the same one that will bring that good work to completion at the day of Christ's return. Now, our English translations, they don't do that justice. If you are one to uh, mark in your Bibles, or if you're taking notes, then uh, draw a line and connect the word of thanks and connect it to the word certain or the word sure. I thank my God because I am sure of this. There is an explicit causal relationship between those two words. God was working in them from the very beginning, from Paul's first day in Philippi when he sets foot in Macedonia, from his first meeting with Lydia, through his stay in the prison and the conversion of the Philippian jailer. And over the next decade, as Paul traveled across uh, Macedonia to Thessalonica, to Berea, down to Athens and to Corinth, and all these other cities, cities, God was stirring up the good works of the Philippians to send him money on multiple occasions, to partner with him on multiple occasions, and even send him uh, Epaphroditus to encourage him and strengthen him. And it was God. God was the one that was doing this. And because of this, Paul is certain that the same God who has sent his spirit to begin that work in their lives will certainly not abandon that work, but will bring it to completion, will finish the work completely when Jesus comes again. And so do you see then how this this reason, this final reason envelops the other two? God is the one who began the work of receiving the gospel message, of remembering Paul and all his needs, and God is also the one who began the work of partnering with the gospel. And not only does God begin the work, but he is also the same one that will complete it as well. He will bring it to completion, and indeed, he has brought it to completion. He has completed the work. It is finished. That same uh, root word that Paul uses in our verse is the same word that Jesus had on his lips on the cross when he cried out, it is finished. You see, that is where our thanksgiving and our joy must be grounded as well. If you're here this morning, if you're wondering why your prayer life is not what you want it to be, or why you find yourself lacking joy and being unthankful? Is it possible that you have not anchored yourself in the faithfulness of God and of his promises to you? Is it possible that you have not considered the cross of Christ where God's unending faithfulness was on full display? Is it possible our prayers are lacking because we've built our lives upon the unsteady sand instead of the sturdy rock of Christ? Are we looking to others? Are we looking to ourselves to complete the work? Or are we looking to the only one who is both able and willing, the one who has already done the work, who's already accomplished the work, who's already begun the work in us by his spirit, and the only one who is able to bring us across the finish line and finish that good work that he has begun? Well, I don't know if there are any of us in the room this morning that are able to say that they are satisfied with their prayer lives, that they're satisfied with where they are in this life. And on top of that, even when we do pray, can we really say that we make every prayer 
with joy. We talked about what Paul's experience was like, but he was only following in the footsteps of his master, his Lord, his God, his Jesus, the one who was beaten, the one who was abandoned by his friends in the garden, the one who knew no sin but became sin on our behalf, the one who went through the pain, the excruciating pain of the cross, and who knows our pain and our struggles, our trials, our temptations. And we have the privilege of praying to him and looking to him because he makes those promises in his word that he will bring us to the end. He's the anchor that has gone before. and He will surely see us there as well. We will not make it there on our own. We will not achieve this kind of, of a life of prayer and thanksgiving on our own by our own merits, but we can uh, work our way there and get there when we look to the one who is working in us, the one who has already begun the work, the same one who will complete the work, the faithful one whose faithfulness never ends. And so let's just look to him always. And let's pray to him now together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess that we have all fallen short, that there is none righteous, not one. So Lord, we look to you, the one who is our righteousness. The same powerful spirit who raised you from the grave has also brought us from death to life. And you have begun that work in us. And we can look back over our lives and already see in every way that you have been faithful, even when we have been faithless. And you will remain faithful and complete the work that you have begun in us. And may that powerful truth and all the promises that you give us in your word, may that produce in us constant and joyful and thankful lives full of prayer and thanksgiving to you. May you receive all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.